You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hey everybody, it's Claire. Welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. We're excited to talk today about our this past weekend with our leadership conference that included the board meeting, our president's meeting, and the legislative seminar. Do our other uh, guests want, not guests, excuse me, you're not guests, our, um, our fellow employees and board members want to introduce themselves? Hello everybody, this is Clark Rockfall. Uh, my third week here at ACB and second time on the ACB Advocacy Podcast. And this was a very exciting week and we look forward to telling you all about it. And good morning. This is a new voice, um, although I'm not new to ACB, certainly. Uh, my name is Katie Frederick and I serve on the board of the American Council of the Blind. And I'm here. It's a privilege to be here with with Clark and Claire, ready to talk about some ACB advocacy issues. Great. Thanks for being with us, Katie. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Katie, Clark, and Claire. I like it. It's got the ka-ka-ka. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's talk about this past weekend. Uh, Let's see if I can get the dates right. Uh, Our conference started on Saturday, February 23rd with our board meeting. Um, You're our board member, so do you want to talk a little bit about that, Katie? Sure. So we had a, a really good um, board meeting on Saturday. The ACB Board of Directors meets a few times a year, um, and this was one of our in-person meetings, and we, we discussed a lot of um, issues, you know, dealing with um, the ACB strategic planning groups gave updates on their progress, and we heard great reports from Eric Bridges, ACB's Executive Director, and, and Kim Charleston, our President, and um, we're really doing a lot of great work as a board for, for ACB, and it's it's a pleasure to serve on the board. Great. Um, another thing we had on Sunday, the 24th, was our president's meeting. Um, so we had most states um, represented. I was sad to see that D.C., my very own area, and ironically, right where we're located, did not represent themselves. But we pretty much had presidents covering most of the U.S., as well as our special interest affiliates um, represented at the president's meeting to talk about what they're doing and um, kind of get some information about what we're doing at the national level. Um, So that was a great uh, great meeting we had. Do you want to talk about the president's meeting at all, Clark? Sure. I think the the session that was most interesting to me, again, being new to ACB and first time being at the president's meetings, learning how ACB interacts with the affiliates, the session that really stood out was the um, membership and fundraising mm-hmm. listening sessions. Yeah, and those that, were great. That really seemed to mm-hmm. engage the affiliates, everyone was sharing success stories, what has worked, what has not worked so well. And there were a lot of notes and braille note takers uh, in high use and demand as everyone was trying to learn from one another to improve their processes going forward. And this is Katie, just something, that's something new that we have not done in the past with with the leadership meetings is have some of that breakout session type of, of, experience and the feedback that I received was that our that our folks wanted want more of that because we as affiliate leaders and I'm, I'm one in Ohio as well you know we can all learn from each other and we're all doing a lot of great work outside of the ACB um, 
national sphere, and so it's really good to have that information sharing and those those um, idea sharing meetings. And especially as ACB affiliates and even at large ACB grows membership, we're going to be bringing in a lot new, a lot of new and exciting and excited people. And they, they want to help. They want to get involved. They want to make a difference. So it's always useful to have a framework and structure in place so that they know where to find the answers and they don't have to reinvent the wheel on their own. Um, and speaking of new and exciting voices joining ACB, Katie, you're also a member of the NextGen committee? Yes, I am. So um, one of the things that that ACB is, is looking to do is really um, reach out to a, a demographic of our membership, and that is um, people who are, you know, out of college, um, starting out as, as young professionals or, you know, entering the workforce, and, you know, really targeting people in your, um, you know, mid-20s to around 40 years of age, and, you know, just really looking at, um, you know, what, what are the needs of this demographic of, of ACB membership, and so, one of the things that we did during the um, mid-year meetings was thanks to the organization of, of some of the other committee members, such as, as Claire Stanley, um, we had some, some different events. So we, Saturday evening following the, the board meeting, we had a, a brief kind of committee meeting where we talked about, you know, what's, what's the group up to and, and kind of where, where do we want to go moving forward. And then we had a, a happy hour, and it's just really great to connect with peers who are blind or visually impaired and kind of going through the, the same issues that, that we all face each day, but, you know, kind of knowing that we're not alone and just, you know, um, everyone's kind of dealing with, with things, and so it was it was really good to connect and also just to talk about, you know, hey, what do you, you know, you have, you have a family or, you, you know, what do you do outside of work and just getting to know people and form those connections and taking part in that networking that is so crucial to success. And so we, we had the happy hour Saturday evening and then Sunday evening following the president's meeting, we had, there were about 15 or so Give or take, us, yeah. Yes, who went to Mai Tai, which is an amazing um, Thai restaurant here in the, in the area. And we had a delicious dinner and again, great conversation. And it was really, just a fun time to to connect and um, socialize outside of outside of meetings and and really form connections with with ACB friends. Yeah, we were really fortunate to get um, funding from one of our major sponsors who helped sponsor the entire leadership conference. JP Morgan was able to provide some financial help to get some of our our next generation members to attend the conference. Um, many of us in the next generation um, group, I'm, I'm a member of that group. In fact, all three of us talking today fall under that category. Um, some of those members financially, it would have been more difficult to come. So JP Morgan provided some funding to help members attend so that we could have representation of that group at our conference, as well as to allow them to come so that they can get more involved. We want our next generation to be more involved because we are just that, the next generation of potential leaders for ACB. Um, we have some amazing, amazing leaders, people like Kim Charlson, but we do want to start um, empowering those of the next generation so that we can have leaders over the next several decades. So we're really fortunate. Um, I won't name all of our um, 
scholarship recipients, but for instance, we had um, one of the leaders of the Massachusetts uh, college students leaders there. So someone who is empowering that group. We had our next generation um, leader um, from Kentucky. So we had some really great representation of different age groups and different backgrounds in different states. So we were really fortunate to have that at our conference. And if any of our listeners are 40 or under and ACB members and you're interested in joining the next gen committee, how can we do that, Claire? Um, we have a Facebook group, so you can look for ACB Next Generation on Facebook and we can get you signed up so you can see what's going on. Um, we also have an email listserv that you can be part of. I'm embarrassed to say I don't know the whole uh, email address, but we can get you signed up. So just contact me, Claire Stanley, at cstanley at acb.org, and I'll make sure you get uh, linked up on that listserv and you can see what's going on there. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the legislative seminar. Um, that was what happened on Monday, February 25th at our conference this past weekend. Um, the legislative seminar is near and dear to my heart because I had a huge role in putting it on and getting the speakers and the topics and that kind of thing. Um, so every year for our legislative seminar, which keys up our trip to the Hill the next day, we kind of look for some of the major issues that the blind community should be looking at that coming year. Um, so we, we call them our imperatives and we picked three imperatives to discuss this year. We got some great speakers to come out from various nonprofits internally, um, some lawyers, um, those kinds of things to talk about these issues. So I'll briefly um, go over what those three topics are and Clark and Katie, feel free to jump in um, with input on these three topics. But the three imperatives were one, autonomous vehicles, huge issue in the blind community. Some major um, car manufacturers such as General Motors are starting to develop autonomous vehicles, which would open a huge door for the blind community. Um, but what's that gonna look like legislatively? A lot of states are developing their own policies, um, but we believe it's important to have a federal law um, that'll make things more um, uh, easy to you know, allow for um, in these industries, these companies to really open the door to streamline practices um, to do um, you know, more for these, for these industries. And as Claire said, um, autonomous vehicles do have a great potential to do just that, open the door of possibilities. And we at ACB, um, and our members, we just want to make sure that those doors do remain open yes. and that there aren't you know, licensing restrictions that would prevent somebody with a disability, especially blindness, from owning and operating an autonomous vehicle. Because We're still seeing that in some states, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. because to drive an autonomous vehicle, you're mainly just a passenger. It's the computer system in the vehicle that will be doing all the work. Um, and then to make sure that the systems and the interfaces are accessible within the vehicles as well. And again, as we know, this can lead to, you know, of course, we talk about opening doors, but, you know, it can lead to just, you know, being able to live in the community of your choice and not having to move to a metropolitan area if you mm -hmm. don't want to. And, and you know, remaining in your home or, you know, with your family and, and not having to, to relocate and, and being able to, you know, contribute to your local economy. And that's one of the things that when I visited with our Ohio congressional delegation, and I want to 
um, you know, thank we have a supporter in Congressman um, Bob Latta's office. Their their office is very supportive of this initiative, and so if anyone's listening from Ohio um, or or Congressman Latta's office, um, thank you for that support. But it's it's great to see you know this this legislation moving forward, and and we're really at an exciting time as people who are blind and visually impaired to be able to have a a place in this space and a seat at the table and, and really um, create some huge opportunities as a community. So um, please stay tuned for more on this issue as it moves forward, I'm sure, I'm certain. And one of the major um, laws that we're looking at that would deal with this is called the AV Start Act. So if people are interested, I'd encourage them to Google AV Start Act and you'll see a lot of uh, discussion about the issue. So um, check it out. And you can always call your congressmen and senators and tell them that you want them to support the AV Start Act in the 116th Congress this year or next year. Let's see if I can get this right. I think the, the switchboard for Congress is 202-224-3121. No? I'll take your word for okay. it. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's it. You can Google it, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, So our second topic um, or imperative that we talked about is the low vision um, devices of, sorry? Low vision devices, demonstration. Demonstration, thank you. Katie's got the language. (laughs) Um, So basically, this is an issue that uh, ACB, when I say we, ACB has been looking at and um, working on for quite a few years. And we're going to keep working on it because it hasn't um, gone through, but it's so important um, are to um, get low vision devices for persons who have low vision covered. So unfortunately, um, most devices that have some kind of lens are not covered by Medicare, um, but these are really important devices for people with low vision. Um, the majority of people who have some kind of um, b- blind or visual impaired disability are low vision. They're not totally blind. And a lot of times that's associated with age and loss of vision um, for people who are of the older community. So they need things like magnifi- magnification glasses, devices. I can't talk today. Um, but insurance doesn't cover most of these devices. And these devices can be extremely expensive. Um, but for many different reasons, um, Medicare will not cover these devices. So these people are stuck in a situation where if they had the devices they needed, they'd be you know, able to perform different um, functions they need at home to be independent, but their insurance aren't covering these devices. So there's been a push through these um, parts of legislation to get them covered. So for instance, Medicare will cover devices for people with physical disabilities, things like walkers or wheelchairs, um, but for whatever reason, things um, that have some kind of lens are not covered by these um, these kinds of insurance. So uh, these parts of legislation are trying to explain and get some research done to show that if these devices with any type of lens are covered, it's gonna enable people with low vision to be successful successful at home and that kind of thing. Um, So again, this is a uh, a bill that's been uh, prompted by ACB for quite a few years and we're not going to stop pushing for it because it's really important. So that was another thing that was taken up to the hill as well. Any comments on that one, guys? I'll just add that you'll start to notice a theme here, whether it's the demonstration with Medicare and Medicaid services for um, covering devices with lenses, autonomous vehicles are our next issue. They're all about creating 
independence and yes. opportunity for our members to live the lives that they choose in the community that they want to be in. Another thing, as I go into our last topic, you'll see too, um, most, not I shouldn't even say most, all three of these imperatives touch in some way on technology or those kinds of things. The first one being autonomous vehicles, the second being devices with lenses, and the third one we're talking about is uh, devices related to diabetes. Um, so statistics show that diabetes is the um, first cause of blindness, the greatest cause of blindness in the United States for persons who are middle-aged. Um, so loss of vision is most caused in the older community um, by things like macular degeneration. But in the general adult middle-aged community, diabetes is the main cause of blindness. And statistics show that it's only going to grow over the next several years. Um, but for whatever reason, the main devices needed to both measure blood glucose levels and provide the insulin for the most part are not accessible to the blind, which in my opinion makes no sense because it's a huge, huge community of your, your, you know, customers. I'm not a business person, but if your customers need something accessible and you're not providing it, that seems inconsistent. Um, but for whatever reason, these devices are inaccessible. So ACB is pushing in a few different ways to get these devices to be accessible. We're looking at it from a legislative perspective, potentially a litigation perspective, potentially working directly with the businesses. So all kinds of different ways we're looking at it. But these devices need to be accessible for blind and visually impaired persons with diabetes. And then to take that a step further, it's not just people with diabetes. There's all kinds of new devices to work with people with all kinds of different medical conditions. So taking a step further and looking at those other devices as well. And again, just making, there are some models out there that are usable by people who are blind or have low vision, but you know, some of them require a smartphone, and for some people that is not achievable or, or a piece of technology that they wish to use. And so just, you know, making sure that, you know, again, you shouldn't have to buy X device because of its features. You should be able to, you know, or, or because of what your insurance will cover, right? So you should have the ability to, to choose, you know, to, to choose a device and use a device that, that, you, that, work, that meets, for, meets your needs and works for you. So... And vision loss is one of many side effects of a disease like diabetes. Um, so if you are measuring your blood sugar, checking your glucose levels, and either the device you're using is inaccessible or you receive an inaccurate reading, that could have serious health ramifications. Mm -hmm. yeah. yes. you, you, know, you can go from living an independent lifestyle at home managing your own care and your own well-being to winding up in the ER or a hospital. Yeah. And that costs more for the individual who has diabetes. That can also wind up costing uh, a lot more in terms of health care and put a, a much higher stress on the system. So if we can create devices that are accessible upfront, Clearly, this would save more in time, effort, resources in the long run. Yeah, just a great economic argument right there. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, uh, Chris Gray, one of our great members of ACB, the executive director of Missouri, um, he talked about the fact that there are so many other medical conditions that can um, branch out from diabetes, and so we have so many other devices. Um, a great example I've heard recently are blood pressure um, uh, what do you call those blood pressure readers? Got a cuff. Cuff, thank you, yeah. a cuff. Um, and you can buy them on Amazon now, and I'm doing air quotes that are accessible, but from people who have used them, they say, yeah, they're technically accessible, they read it out loud, but there's so many other functions the cuff is supposed to do that are inaccessible. And so, you, you know, for what you pay, you're only getting a, you know, a fraction of the accessibility that other um, sighted people would get. So. People even say they have devices that are accessible, but they really aren't. They might do one thing, but they you can't get access to everything they do. So, And although some devices are accessible, their accuracy is questionable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it, again, how many times does it take to have an inaccurate blood sugar reading or an in inaccurate blood pressure reading uh, before something catastrophic medically could happen exactly. to you. Exactly. Right. Not something you want to have in inaccuracy about. No. So, so needless to say, that's a huge issue that ACV <laughs> is hoping to really start, start um, chipping away at this year. Um, I don't want to be a pessimist, but it's probably going to take quite some time, but um, it's something we really want to start, um, start working on this year because it's a big one. And more information is available on all three of these imperatives at acb.org mm -hmm. on the legislative seminar and leadership meetings uh, webpage. Yes. And if you have any questions, feel free to contact us. Like we always talk about on the podcast, you can reach us um, with questions at advocacy at acb.org. That's advocacy at acb.org. And Clark and I can answer any of your questions. And if there are any other topics that you would like us to cover in the podcast, feel free to include that in the message as well. Yep. Um, so we've rambled on enough here. We are going to end the podcast today with um, the speaker that we were really fortunate to have um, at the lunch of our legislative seminar. He was our guest speaker, uh, Matt Handley. You've probably heard us talk about Matt Handley before. Um, he is an attorney. He used to work at Washington Lawyers Committee, who's a big ally of ours that we work with. He's since opened his own practice, but he still works very closely with ACB and helps with several of the different cases we're potentially looking at. So he did a great lunch speech, and we're going to play it for everybody so you can hear that. Um, before we do that, though, we want to remind you guys, please, if you're not a member of ACB, we'd love to have you join us. You can either join through your state affiliate, a special interest affiliate, or as a member at large. Um, all that information is on our website at acb.org, um, and Clark and I can answer any questions through our uh, email address we just gave out. So please, if you're not a member, check out Becoming a Member. We'd love to have you join us. Um, and... Um, before before we end, Katie if, or Clark, if you have anything to, to say, please let us know. But as we always say, we want you guys to keep advocating. Yeah, Katie, Absolutely. Katie thank you so much for joining yes. us for yeah. this for episode. Me. It's been great. And thank you to everyone listening at ACB Radio. That's right. And also as a plug there, um, if you want to hear everything that happened at the leadership conference all three days, it was all recorded on ACB Radio. So you can also go back and listen to that. Uh, there was so much going on, I might go back and listen just to recap. Yeah, exactly. So much.
Um, great. So remember, guys, keep advocating, and I hope you enjoy listening to Matt Handley. with ACB for several years now, originally through the Washington Lawyers Committee, and now in his own practice. Um, I selfishly am excited to introduce him because I first met him when he was working on a case that I was a part of several years ago. So he's a great attorney, a great ally to ACB, um, and he is going to talk to you uh, all about some of the work he's been doing with ACB and what we'll be working on going forward as well. Um, so everybody, I'd like to introduce Matt Handley. Thank you, Claire, um, and good afternoon, everyone. It's it's a real it's a uh, <laughs> or pick it up maybe. <laughs> good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a real privilege to to be here again um, with all of you. And um, thank you, Claire. I uh, you know I'm Matthew Handley, and uh, an attorney who's had the privilege of representing ACB and many of its members and affiliates in the last several years concerning accessibility issues. And I think, it, I think it was almost exactly three years ago you know, today that I, I stood here and, and, and spoke to you all and described the, the fight for digital accessibility in which all of us in one way or another were engaged. And, and here we are three years later. And I, I'm very happy to say that, that over these last three years, there have been several significant advances in digital accessibility due in no small part whatsoever to the advocacy from the leadership and, and membership of the American Council of the Blind. Um, as I mentioned, I've, I've had the privilege of working alongside ACB and have borne witness to these successes. Um, and, it, and it really brings me a lot of pride to be able to now share some of them here with you today and, and then to forecast what the work that there is that's still to be done. <clears throat> so starting with software accessibility. I, I think it was about three years ago um, at this time that ACB's partnership with Microsoft was still in its very nascent stages. But since that time, ACB has helped Microsoft integrate accessibility into its current and future products in ways that I, that I, I believe were previously very unexpected. Of course, there were the overdue and, and necessary updates and changes to the Windows operating system um, and its related applications that and its related applications to enable screen reader users to better access and navigate these indispensable tools. But alongside those obvious changes, Microsoft has moved beyond these incremental updates to develop technologies like their seeing AI application. the talking camera app for your phone that narrates the world around you. And I can very uh, honestly say that but for ACB's advocacy, such advances would not have been possible. Now, related to accessibility of devices, which is a very broad, broad topic and, and one that I don't think was actually on my list three years ago, um, I want to talk a little bit about phones, and in particular VoIP phones. I mean, three years ago, the VoIP phone or the, the voice over internet protocol phone landscape 
was a, a fairly inaccessible morass, all you know, uh, industry-wide. VoIP phones had become indispensable in the large office environment, offering impressive functionality for sighted users who could make use of the phone's information display screen and soft keys. And for those of you who don't know what I mean by soft keys, I mean buttons that served multiple purposes depending on what was displayed on the display screen. <clears throat> Blind users were left with little to no options for accessing this fun functionality, including such basic functions as even caller ID, which for most VoIP phones was only displayed on the phone's screen rather than read aloud. ACB's legal advocacy has prompted a growing partnership with Cisco, the first and primary achievement of which was to create and offer the first enterprise-grade desk phone that includes built-in text-to-speech functionality capable of conveying vital information on the display through audible voice and tone indicators. I, I've had the pleasure of, of seeing this phone in, in operation and, and, and truly impressed. With this new phone, which other providers are sure to imitate in order to remain competitive, Blind users now have access to the functionality that had previously been hidden from their use. Now, the legal advocacy that, that prompted this new phone and the partnership with Cisco did not stop with the phone. Cisco's also prioritized improving the accessibility of its web conferencing software, and this and other advances in the accessibility of communications products sold by Cisco are on the near horizon. And I can confidently say again that without ACB's advocacy, we would not be celebrating these victories today. Now, turning to website accessibility, <clears throat> which um, has been a, a thorny issue for years and will continue to be so, it should come as no surprise that in the three years since I last spoke here, even more businesses and services have transitioned to an online environment. Here, too, ACB's organizational legal advocacy and the legal advocacy of its individual members have led to advances in accessibility. One example I'd like to focus on it relates to educational opportunities. As educational opportunities increasingly have moved from physical classrooms and book settings to online environments, accessibility has become an increasing concern. This includes for companies that help prepare people for critical licensing exams. One such company is, is Barbary, the country's largest bar prep course for new lawyers studying to take the bar exam. Now, I, I have a lot of familiarity personally with Barbary. I took it when I completed law school, as did approximately 80 to 90% of law graduates. It's, it has that large of the market share. But when I was in law school, the course was taken in a classroom with actual books and there were Braille or otherwise accessible versions of the books um, to assist. But now the course is almost wholly online, and critical components of Barbary's test prep offerings, including its mobile application, its website, and its course materials, were not accessible. Barbary was unwilling to be coaxed into accessibility, resulting in the filing of a class action lawsuit on behalf of blind law students many of whom were ACB members, and one of whom was ACB's own advocacy outreach specialist, Claire Stanley. Last year, Barbary settled this suit, agreeing to make its course offerings accessible. 
and thereby paving the way for blind law students to enter a professional field that had become increasingly difficult to enter due to Barbary's lack of accessibility. ACB's legal advocacy has also prompted Itza, a growing national fast casual restaurant chain, to make its automated self-service restaurant experience accessible to blind customers throughout the country, and caused Hulu to make its website and software applications accessible via screen readers. And now, despite these achievements, there is much work to be done. I, I don't think I'm surprising you with that. <clears throat> Every new technology advance that has both the potential for enhancing accessibility also has the potential to erect new barriers. I'm encouraged by the knowledge, however, that the same determination by ACB and its membership over the last three years and the many years before that which led to the advances I've discussed, will continue to lead to additional advances and milestones in the ever-continuing fight to make the world a more inclusive and accessible place. Now, as a preview of what I believe is to come in the near future. Today, ACB's Bay State affiliate has put the Common College app on notice that the accessibility issues encountered by blind students and their supporters will no longer be tolerated. As many of you know, the college application system that hundreds of schools around the country use is inaccessible, creating an unnecessary and devastating roadblock to perhaps the most important gateway to success many people may face in their entire lives. Through ACB's membership and its affiliates advocacy, you've ensured that this will not be tolerated. And we are prepared to use whatever tools necessary to ensure accessibility. Similarly, yeah. Similarly, online early child education services, such as ABC Mouse and other similar companies, provide amazing opportunities to children and their parents for enhancing early learning and making such learning fun. Unfortunately, little thought's gone into the accessibility of these services. This too will change as ACB and its allies in the legal field work to change these companies' practices. The ever-increasing presence of touchscreen kiosks, whether at the sign-in desk of a medical diagnostic clinic or at the table of our favorite restaurants, continue to create unnecessary barriers to accessibility and threats to privacy. Here, too, ACB is committed to making these environments accessible to all through its legal advocacy. The accessibility of medical devices is also of increasing importance as devices such as continuous reading glucose meters become commonplace. It's important that the benefits these devices give to patients is not lost to blind patients. The amount of information available to improve our health and well-being should be available to all. ACB's advocacy will ensure that it is. Now, Now, over the years that I've had the privilege of working with and representing ACB and its members, I've been particularly impressed with the skill with which ACB wields both carrots and sticks. I have seen companies voluntarily embrace accessibility as partners with ACB and have those companies wonder aloud why it took them so long to see the benefits of incorporating accessibility into their business models. And for those companies that are not as quick to see such benefits, ACB has not been afraid to rely on the legal tools at its disposal, 
for making industry see the light. This balance of advocacy through both litigation and diplomacy has given ACB the flexibility and credibility to continue to address current and future accessibility issues. I know that I look forward to reporting back in years to come on these upcoming successes. Thank you all. <laughs>